0: Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. When you open up your Bible, and uh, especially when you read in Genesis chapter 1, you find out uh, that God created the heavens and the earth. Furthermore, God rules all that He created. And God is the truth. He is the ethics. He is the morality for all of His creation. So we live in God's world. In fact, all mankind lives in God's world. Most of mankind today rejects the God of this world, rejects His ethics and morality, rejects His dominion and His rule. But we as Christians are different. We have been saved, saved by grace. We are in right relationship with God. We accept everything about Him. He is the Creator. He is the Ruler. He is the Savior. And so we open up our Bibles to find the truth and find that salvation is of the Lord. God is a sovereign God and and we are responsible to live by faith in Him. We're responsible to obey Him. When we look at the text of Scripture and we see that we live in God's world, God is this sovereign God, we we often wrestle with the relationship between the sovereignty of God and our responsibility in light of God's sovereignty. And this is always a, a mystery that is revealed to us in Scripture because God is absolutely sovereign over all, and yet we are fully responsible to follow Him, fully responsible to believe, fully responsible to obey. And with our responsibility, it is important and significant for us to submit to Him and to depend upon Him. So when we speak of something, as we did this morning, as our sanctification, on one sense we say, and in the strongest sense we say, our sanctification is all of God. It is His work. That's why when Jesus was meeting with his disciples and he was considering his departure and he was considering the greatest need of these individuals. He turned his eyes upon the sovereign God and he said, protect them and guard them and you sanctify them. He didn't turn to the disciples and say, now you need to be careful. You're living in a hostile world. He could have said this to them. This would have been perfectly appropriate. You live in a hostile world. You need to be very careful. In the next 24 hours, you really need to be careful. Because things are going to happen that you don't fully understand now. You will understand more later. But you really need to be careful. And furthermore, put sanctification before your face. You you need to sanctify yourselves. But instead of saying that, and here we have the Lord praying right in front of all the disciples, and he looks to the Lord and he says, Sanctify these individuals and sanctify your people, sanctify us. So when you read the commentaries and when you read the conservative commentaries and when you read the scriptures, it's very easy to say salvation is of the Lord, sanctification is of the Lord, glorification is of the Lord. The, the whole of it is the working of God. But then we also look at the Scriptures and say, and we must discipline ourselves for godliness. We must discipline ourselves for holiness, for sanctification. And that means that we, as we live our lives, since He's the God who sanctifies, we must be continually looking to Him, depending upon Him, trusting Him. Look to Him for the grace and the power that only He can give for us to be sanctified. So part of the reason for giving this grand picture of all that God does is so that we will look to Him for all that He is doing in us, and that we will walk with Him, because He is at work in us, in our lives, to encourage us in our responsibility. And I'm going to turn to a passage of Scripture uh, tonight in Hebrews uh, chapter 12 that really speaks of God encouraging us in our responsibility. So on one hand I say salvation is of the Lord, sanctification is of the Lord. If God did not sanctify us, you would never be sanctified. If God did not glorify you, you would never be glorified because you are powerless to sanctify yourself just as you are powerful powerless to justify yourself. And you are powerless to glorify yourself. That has to be something that God does to us. It's it's His work. It ought to be your prayer request and my prayer request. Dear God, sanctify me. Sanctify me. Sanctify the people of our church. Sanctify your people. Glorify us when Jesus returns. You know, if Jesus would would return right now, I don't know what this is going to be like, but there would be a complete transformation that you would experience. If Jesus appeared and we were caught up to meet him in the air, you will be changed. Your sin nature, completely removed. Your disposition to sin, completely removed. You will be holy, not only in your position before God, but you will be holy in your experience. I mean, very careful, I want to say this you'll be as holy as God is holy. You say, but God is the source of holiness and God is absolutely holy. I said, true. You will be absolutely holy too. That's amazing. And that holiness is not only, if that's not enough, then God says, I'm going to take my glory. I'm going to give you my glory too. Now what that feels like, I don't know, but it's going to feel like something. He said, well, that was a very astute statement to make. It's going to feel like something. There's going to be a change. And then we, as Jesus, rose up in glorified body to meet the Lord in the air, so we are going to rise up and meet him in the air, which is an indication that things have changed because you cannot raise yourself up in the air to meet with God. But you will. Why? Because God is going to sanctify you completely and he is going to glorify you completely and you shall be holy and righteous as Christ. Amazing. So that's the expectation that we have. But then the Lord says, well, let me encourage you. And much of the New Testament is encouragement to walk in the victory of Christ, to walk in all that he freely gives to you. And that walk is difficult. And especially for the Hebrew Christians, it was difficult. They were being challenged. They were being challenged with persecution. Uh, Some of them were being driven away. And part of the spread of Christianity took place because of the spread of Christians being driven away because of persecution. And we can read about that and, and see it happening with others. And we say, well, that was difficult. It was very difficult for them. So difficult that it caused many to begin to wonder about the truth. And so the writer of the Hebrews wrote to them to say we have a better than relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Everything is better than. We have a better than covenant. We have a better high priest. We have a a, a better than relationship with God. All, all of this is, is better than in Hebrews. And he comes uh, to chapter 11 and he talks about the perfection of all of the saints that will be, that are uh, going to be perfected. And, and uh, he said, uh, in speaking of all the ones, he said all these in verses 39 and 40 of the previous chapter, and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. It's still before them. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So this, this perfection, this, that which God is going to accomplish, is going to be the, the fullness of God's promises, including us as well. And having made that statement, he then encourages. And um, his encouragement is given in, in, um, in verses 3 when he depicts the Christian life as a race. Now that's... Um, In light of salvation is of the Lord, sanctification is of the Lord, it's very interesting to compare the Christian life and the life of walking with God as a race. But that's how it's presented in the first three verses. And let me read. I'm still in the context. I know this passage, what I want to speak on is actually 4 through 13, but I'm actually going to do 1 through 3 as well because I can't. You have this race that is set before us. Therefore, we also... We also, now he's talking about us, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. That's the witnesses that are in chapter 11. It's like we're running in an arena and all of the saints that have gone before us are in the arena surrounding us. This is, this is time for encouragement. So you can view this as is there you are running and everyone is cheering for you and rooting for you. And everyone is saying, you're running the right race, you're on the right track, keep going. And uh, I remember at uh, Westside Christian High School, there was a track meet and there was a race and one of the girls, everyone was cheering for her. She was not the fastest runner and she was not really in, in you know, competing for the prize but she was just running this race and as she would run by everyone would cheer for her because it was she was running around the rack several times and every time they cheered for her she would wave (laughs) wave to the crowd because sort of like a rose festival thing because she's running and waving at the crowd because they were all cheering for her but that's really what we have going here these are this is not just a, a a cloud of witnesses that stands at a distance these are individuals saying keep running you're, on the, you're in the right race. You're doing the right thing. Keep going. It's worth it. It's worth it. And so we have this great cloud of witnesses. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance. That, that key word here is with, that, with endurance. Running with endurance. The race that is set before us. And if you really want to be encouraged, don't just look at the cloud of witnesses. Look at Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And that word finisher is a word that not just means the one who completes our faith, but it's like the pioneer who goes before us. He blazes the trail for us that we may follow in his trail. So he's the one who suffered and died for us so that, he paid our penalty and secured our victory. And he's the one who was raised, and he's the one who ascended on high. And, and he blazed this trail. The, 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 he's the pioneer that brings us to that, to that goal. Looking into Jesus, the author, the, the one who, who put our, the plan before us and everything about the plan before us, and the one who goes before us and brings us there looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And because you see Jesus sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, and because he is the pioneer who has gone before us, blazing the trail, securing the victory for us, you know where you're going. You know where the race ends. This is not a race that goes around like this until you drop dead. This is the race that you go around and you're running around in life and you just, you end up in in his presence. And you're running the race that he sets before you, so that means everything about the race that is set before you is from him for the purpose of endurance, your endurance, in being disciplined in running the race. So that's a... That too is a, is a great encouragement. So we have the cloud of witnesses and then we have looking unto Jesus here in this passage who is sitting upon the throne saying, I'm here, you're coming here. This is, this is where you end up. You're here with me. That's, that's terrific. I mean, all of that is what God has done and, and the promises of God. So then he encourages. And now we're to verse 4. Now we're beginning. So he understands the human frame and the tendency to become discouraged. So he says, you have not yet... I'm going to read this in sections. I, I should read the whole thing, but I'm going to read it in sections. First, in, in verse 4, he encourages them by saying, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And The striving against sin is, is a, a picture of... We're running the race that is set before us. And part of the race that is set before us in, in involves addressing sinful issues. Sinful issues in our life. But he says, in this running of this race, you have not run in such a way that you have, have shed blood. And, and the shedding of blood, you know, that is referenced and the way it says it that way. says, you know, part of what you need to understand is this discipline is a discipline that the Lord has set before you and and some of the ways in which the Lord has disciplined you is not as severe as it could be. And it's very interesting to me that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, it could have been a peaceful trial, and a quiet crucifixion. But it was not. It could have been Jesus, and there's nothing peaceful about being crucified. And, and but I'm simply saying, that the way that Jesus Christ was treated, before he ever got to the cross, he probably was unrecognizable. And, you know, the crown of thorns that they put upon his head... That, that was a, a, a physical torment, and the striking of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the and the and the, the beating of of Him, and and the verbal abuse that He suffers, and you, you, you know, there's a sense in which you, you can look at this and say, "Well, God, you know, all of that is not the worst thing that happened to Jesus Christ. All of that, and I'm not making light of the terrible things because all those." if I experienced them personally, it would be terrible and, and terrifying. But the worst thing that happened to Jesus Christ was taking our sin and taking our punishment and serving as the mediator between God and man. The, the spiritual agony of the cross dwarfed the physical. And it seems to me that God, the Heavenly Father, could have said, okay, we're not going to have all of that other stuff. It's bad enough of all that's going to take place at the cross because, you know, one of my complaints about movies that show the agony of Jesus Christ suffering and dying on the cross is the focus is clearly upon his physical agony. His physical agony is terrible, but it pales in in comparison to the spiritual agony that he encountered at the cross. We can't even really know what it is for God to pour out His wrath upon His eternal Son for our eternal salvation, and for the Son to take our sin upon Himself in such a way that it causes Him and demands His death. All of that is, we can say and we can talk about it, but to fully understand the heart and mind of God, that's We'll be studying that, I think, throughout all eternity, just to grasp the enormity of that which took place at the cross between God and God. That's that's just uh, one of the amazing things. But here, the the writer of the Hebrews is just saying, you and your struggles, look at Jesus Christ. He shed blood. In fact, he died upon the cross. And he did that for you. But you, you haven't suffered to that point. So it's a comparison from the lesser to the greater when he talks about this. And, and sometimes when you think about things and you think, well, I haven't suffered, and you can think about somebody who suffered more, but if you're suffering less, it's still, your sufferings are great. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's arguing from the lesser to the greater is, is not always the greatest encouragement, but it's one of the things that he says here. You've not yet resisted the bloodshed, striving against sin. And, so that's the first thing, remember that, you haven't shed blood. You can remember that in your Christian life, because in living the Christian life, to my knowledge, most of you have not shed blood in the process of living for Jesus Christ. The day may come when we may do that. I don't know. But to this point, this this struggle that is great, he's saying, you guys maybe have been driven from your homes. I don't want to be driven from my home. I don't want to suffer that. But they were driven from their homes and driven away because they were afraid of of more than that being done to them. So I'm not saying these Hebrews were not discouraged, and I'm not saying that they weren't suffering, because they were suffering. just saying you just haven't shed blood in the reference to your suffering. The second thing he says to them is you've forgotten the word. And he says in verse 5, And you've forgotten the exhortation, which speaks to you as sons, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. I want you to look at this passage. Go back and look at, at uh, Proverbs uh, uh, chapter chapter 3. In Proverbs chapter 3, and I want to read these uh, first 12 verses, because when you read Proverbs, people will always say, when you read... or. Students of Scripture will always say, when you read the book of Proverbs, that Proverbs was written by Solomon to his sons and perhaps his daughters as well uh, to give them wisdom for life. It is it is the, the wisdom of a father to his, to his sons. But when you have the writer of the Hebrews under the inspiration of the Spirit of God saying, this is written to you. And I look at this and I say, well, that's, that's significant. Now I know that the book of Proverbs was not just written to Solomon's sons and daughters, but it was written in relationship to me being a son of, of God. And this is what the text says. The verses that he's quoting from are verses 11 and 12 of chapter 3. But let me read up to that point. My son, do not forget my, my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For the length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways know him. Acknowledge him. And he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will flow with new wine. And my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord nor detest his correction For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son, in whom he delights. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. He goes on in this passage to talk about that, but here's this statement. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Now here he lifts this, this word up to directly address the Lord himself. My son, you're my son, but as the the sons of God, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Doesn't describe what the chastening might be. Uh, Chastening is always things that are not necessarily comfortable. But if he says here in verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 12, and quotes says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Whatever that chastening is, it is not something that that involves our comfort. Can it be physical things? Yes. Can it be spiritual things? Yes. Can it be temptation? Yes. Can it be struggles with sin? Yes. In fact, it can be anything that the Lord wants to gain our attention. But His purpose in this is not a negative purpose. It's always a positive purpose. He says, as you're running the race, you need to lay aside every, every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And sometimes, while we're running, we have weights and we're running along. And the Lord will, in time and in His mercy and in the gentle ways of the Lord, will come to us in various ways and say, why are you carrying this? Why are you running with this? And we say, because I've always run with this. He said, well, lay it aside. We say, oh. And the Lord can use all kinds of circumstances in our life to do that. God is an amazing God. And there's one way of, of looking at these people being driven from their homes. And maybe suffering some forms of violent persecution as well. But being driven away. If you're not going to be, they say, if you're not going to be faithful to God, if you're not going to be faithful to the, our old ways, and if you're going to believe that Jesus is the Messiah when he is not the Messiah, then you, you need to get away. And so, so they're, they're driven out. But they go out with the gospel of Christ. They go out with Jesus Christ. But, but they go out. But, but this is all uh, an uncomfortable thing for them. They didn't want to go out. So it's a form of chastening. It's a form of the Lord saying, I've got something better for you. And they can look at this whole being driven out, and they say, the whole thing is negative. This is, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to us. We had a fine life. Everything was going well. Now suddenly, we have to leave everything, carry everything, and, and we walk away. This is, this is the worst thing that's happened to us. He says, you forgot something. You, you forgot that the Lord has said not to despise his chastening, not to despise the way in which he leads our lives. And that's important for them to understand. You, you, it's like saying, do you remember what the scriptures say? That's always important. That's because we need someone always to encourage us and point us back to the Scriptures. That's always nice. But don't don't despise, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't despise what the Lord is doing in your life right now. Or be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens. And scourges every son whom He receives. So He says, you've, you've forgotten the Word. And furthermore, you've forgotten the love of the Lord. Don't see this as the worst thing that's ever happened to you. See this as the the Lord's love for you and your life. Again, that's a whole different perspective, but he says you have forgotten that that perspective. And then he says in the beginning of verse 7, It is for discipline that you endure the endurance, sometimes the, the problems and stumbles that are in the way or for the purpose of encouraging our discipline to continue on. You say, well, that's a strange way of encouraging our discipline. And I said, it's one of the ways. God also encourages our hearts and encourages us with truth and encourages us with the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives. But there's also times when there are obstacles in the way that we go through. And God puts those obstacles there in order that we might see our greater need of Him. So even the difficulties and the problems. And, and again, it doesn't spell out the difficulties in here. That's what's amazing about this text. So when people say, well, you're going to preach this text, well, then you need to describe all the difficulties that people can encounter. I just say every difficulty you ever encounter is something that is something along the way that the Lord has set before you in an order that you might see... And endure and continue to continue on in your Christian life. Because true discipline endures. True discipline endures. So when there's an obstacle in the way, you keep running. You know, it's uh, interesting. We've all seen the races where usually it's a marathon or a long race. Where someone has run and they ran out of something. But clearly they're wobbling at the end. And you can tell they don't even really know exactly where they are. And they're kind of, you know, sometimes they're walking because they can't run anymore. And they're just kind of, they got this wild and crazy look in their eye because they don't really know where they are. And they're kind of going on. And the crowd loves it. And the crowd is cheering and cheering and cheering because they're really just going on cruise control, I think, because their mind is, is been sapped of resources as well, so they're just not even thinking clearly. They're, they're not in, in competition to win the race. They're just determined to finish the race. And here they are, and these, this obstacle is before them, but they keep, they keep going. And that's, that's really sort of, in one way, the picture of the Christian life. No matter what the obstacle is, it, it, the obstacles and the difficulties that we encounter are not to cause us to sit down and quit. They are designed to encourage us and to press on in the discipline and finish the race that is set before us. That's a whole different way of looking at it, but he says true discipline endures. And it is for endurance that that our discipline is challenged. So the Lord is not trying to shut you down when you encounter difficulties in your life. He's not trying to redirect you over here. The difficulties in life are for the purpose of, of our endurance, the purpose of continuing on and running the race that is set before us. And it would be wonderful, and I think it would be the greatest thing if every race that we ran before us had no obstacles or no difficulties in the way. And if I voted for God with God, I'd say, I would like the Christian life to be the, the most pleasant experience we ever have. But the truth is that it's very difficult. And there are all kinds of obstacles in the way, and you can look at this and say, well, if I knew that Christianity was going to be this, I would have never signed up for it. But the Bible says it's this, and the reason we run the race that is set before us, and the reason the Lord sets these things before us is not because he hates us, and not because he wants to impede our progress, but because he loves us, and he wants us to be even more disciplined in pursuing the life, and pursuing and, and, and running the race. And that's interesting in light of the fact that it is the God who sanctifies us. He said, why is he so if he's the God who sanctifies us, why is he so concerned about disciplining us so that we'll keep running? That's just fascinating when you think about that. But that's exactly what he does. It's It's like the Lord who sanctifies us knows that he is sanctifying us, and so it is this progress that he is intimately involved, not only with the overall sanctification that we have, but every bit of the progress along the way. And he impedes our progress. For the sake of discipline. He impedes our progress that we might endure. Not that we might cease running. And then he says, don't lose your view of God along the way. As he continues, you endure chastening. God deals with you as with sons. That's what he said before. My son. Verse 5. God de- deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Since the obstacles are to do something else, it changes our relationship with God because we see the obstacles instead of saying, what are you putting in my way? Why are you giving me this difficulty? Why is it that I'm running the race? Here I am, faithfully believing, they could say, in the Messiah. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. A lot of my neighbors don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but I believe Jesus is the Messiah, and now I get driven from my home. And now I'm suffering persecution. I don't know where I'm going. And it's very easy to say, God, what are you doing? What? What, what is this all about? Why are you making my life so difficult when... It should it should be this easy race that we're running my neighbors they don't believe in the Messiah they're staying home. why am I leaving and you look at this but it says you know the, the father disciplines us for, for the purpose and for his purpose but he disciplines us as sons. It's because already said, is because He loves us. That He disciplines us. And furthermore, it begins, ends with this statement at this point, anyway, this encouragement section. You say, well, this is not very encouraging. Well, I said, it is encouraging. Because it says you have to change your whole mindset. This is a different mindset than what the world's going to give you. It's God's mindset. So He's telling you the things that are happening. You've not shed blood. You've forgotten the words in Proverbs. Uh, true discipline endures. God disciplines the sons that He loves. But but notice verse 10. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but He for our profit, that we may be partakers of His holiness. That's the word sanctification. That's the word that's used this morning when we talked about that we may share in His Holiness, sanctify it, make us holy. So now God is disciplining us so that we may share His holiness. The Father is disciplining us in our lives and in our walk and in the struggles that we have. Instead of being this, this supernatural holiness that is just a progressive thing that he just gradually puts upon our heads and he puts upon our heads and he just gradually making us holy we go this is great as long as i live the christian life i get more and more holy and more and more devoted to god and and this is this is a great experience for me and instead what this is saying is you know this process of holiness involves being kicked out of your home and it involves persecution and the christians in the early church endured ten persecutions some of them were local persecutions a few of them were universal wherever they were it was bad but not all were universal the whole empire some were just cities and a few cities this persecution taking place but it was all bad so the persecution did, did involve the shedding of blood but he says this this should not cause us to lose our respect for God and furthermore he is putting these things in our pathway so that we will be sanctified so that we will share his holiness now remember holiness remembers those three things that holiness involves that we will be pure like god is pure it's it's the purity of God, the purity of His attributes, the purity of all that He is. We shall share in His purity. That's the moral purity of God. So I'll say to you, one of the things you will not need in the new heavens and new earth is you will not need the Ten Commandments posted on your wall. So you won't need the Ten Commandments? No, you won't need them because you will be holy. And doing something contrary to holiness will not be a part of your nature. Just as it is not a part of God's nature. So we won't need to be having the Ten Commandments posted because we will be righteous and holy and doing otherwise will be an impossibility for us. That's amazing when you think about that. Because we shall be pure as God is pure. We shall be like Him. I'm not saying we are gods. We shall be like him. We shall be pure as God is pure. We shall be righteous as God is righteous. Those are amazing things to say, but that's what's in force. And we shall be set apart. We shall be completely, at that point, set apart to God. So the... The purity of holiness, you can think of holiness and being pure, you can always think of it in, in positional aspect, especially with this world, because it's to be set apart from that which is common, and set apart which that is devoted to God. So there's a positional change in our view of sanctification in that word itself. And also we shall be to the praise of His glory. There's a There's a reverence of that which is holy. Hallowed be thy name. The, the reverence of that. And when people in the, in the new heavens and new earth come up and reverence your holiness, you'll say, it's God's holiness. It's, I, I got it all from him. It's, it's, it belongs to him. And so when they reverence the holiness that you possess, you will point the finger at God and you'll say, he's the one who's holy. And I, the holiness, all of the holiness that I possess, I possess from him. It's a gift of his grace. Not from me. So you'll always be pointing to God and say, your righteousness is impeccable. I say, thank you very much. It's all His. It's all from Him. That's what He gave me. I'm the recipient of all of that. And so we'll even have the aspect of, of if when people see righteousness and holiness and godliness and the purity of God in us, it will always be pointing to God who is the one who is the giver of all of that to us. Well, then you have this final exhortation that is given. And in verses 11 through 13, we have this this statement that is given. It says, No chastening for the Seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of those of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down. Actually, make straight the hands that hang down and the feeble knees. This is, again, reference to the running of this race. The the picture is this person, their hands are down and their knees are wobbling. And they're running this race and they're just like, it's it's so hard, it's so difficult. He says, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. So that what is lame may not be dislocated, may not fall apart, but rather be healed. And here's this. It says you're you're being chastened. It's not joyful for the present, but it's going to yield the the fruit of righteousness, of holiness in you. Therefore, strengthen your hands. You you can strengthen yourself in this, but to strengthen others as well. But there's a strengthening of your hands and making straight paths. And a straight path would be a path that is straight according to the word of God. So well, the passage says that it is Jesus, the author or finisher, who who sets the race before us. Run with endurance the race that he has set before us. But the race that is set before us will always be in keeping with the word of God. And if you run and set your your pathway straight, you set it straight by setting it according to the Word of God. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. I'm going to be what He wants me to be. Because this is the Word, it's His Word He's given to us that sets forth the pathway and encourages us to run on it. So He says, make straight the weak hands and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. That you will not be out of joint, but you'll be healed. Healed in the running. Healed in the process. Usually when we think of a race and somebody is, has uh, hands and feet, hands and feeble knees, they need to sit down. And usually I say, you know, you need a, a good night's nice rest and you'll be able to run the race tomorrow. But you're all done for the day. But not here, you're to keep running and you are healed and in the race. You'll be healed. So what do you need? Well, you need the power of God and you need the Word of God. It's as if he's saying, you know, you're on the right race. The difficulties that you're encountering in your life, it's a part of God's sanctification. Who would have thought that the God who sanctifies wouldn't just do it automatically and immediately? But instead, we run this race where God is sanctifying us, and he uses the means along the way to accomplish his purposes. That also is interesting. But the end result is sure you shall be sanctified. And he does all of this not because he despises us, but because he loves us and he's leading us and directing us step by step along the way. So he says, be encouraged. Run the race that is set before you. We all have difficulties in our lives. Every single one of us. We all have challenges that we face. We all have things that are discouraging to us. And all of these, you can say, well, these are all these things when they start piling up and piling up and piling up, you say, man, I'm really discouraged, like carrying a heavy burden. You can look at him that way, or you can also look at him in the the sense of, even in the struggling that we have with sin, you can say, God is at work in me. God is at work, and I am to run the race that is set before. I'm to endure, and the Lord loves me, so he disciplines me. If I wander from the pathway, he disciplines me, but sometimes he sets things on the pathway to discipline me. It's not just disciplining the disobedient. It's disciplining us so that we will endure, because where we're headed for, is the righteousness of God and the holiness of God. Because he's promised that to us, and Jesus Christ has secured that for us at the cross. So the outcome is secure. It's sure and certain. God's purposes will be accomplished. So this is an encouraging passage that deals with the responsibility that we bear in the context of God who is the one who sanctifies And Jesus, when he prayed to the Father, he said, make sure they're all sanctified. Make sure it happens. Make sure that they're lined up with the Word of God, lined up with the God of the Word, and they all perfectly measure up to him. And one of the things that's going to be amazing, when the dead in Christ are raised and we who are alive and remain are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, I want you to look around. (laughs) You know, I always say, one of the things I'm going to do, I've never flown like that before. I'm probably going to look down, but I, I imagine what we're going to focus on is the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's going to be the thing. But you need to look around at the vast multitude of people because it's going to be amazing that any of us should be there. But what's totally amazing is the monumental number of individuals that will be there, rising up to meet the Lord Jesus Christ without spot or wrinkle, without sin, in righteousness. In holiness, in absolute purity, like God, to meet the Lord in the air. That's where we're headed. All of us. That's amazing. Every believer in Jesus Christ headed for that destination. So the Lord encourages us by saying, sanctification, oh yeah, that's God's ministry. That's what he does. And then God says, and by the way, Run the race that is set before you. And when you encounter difficulties, endure. Be disciplined on that pathway. You run the race. You run, I like to say, you walk in the victory of Jesus Christ. You walk in all that he has secured and accomplished for you. Great encouragement to our hearts. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you encourage our hearts. We need to be encouraged in the truth. We need to be encouraged with the finished work that you have secured for us at the cross. We're so thankful, Father, that you are the God of sanctification, and you are sanctifying us and making us to be holy. We're thankful that the destination of holiness and righteousness and glory is finished. It's secure. And as we run the race that is set before us, give us wisdom to be wise and to endure. If we wander from the pathway, help us to come back. But if we run on the pathway and we face obstacles, help us to endure. But Lord, all of this is your love for us. You love us. We are your sons. We are your daughters in Christ. We belong to you. And you are bringing us in all of these ways. You are bringing us to glory. And we rejoice in all that you're accomplishing in our lives. So be an encouragement to us and strengthen our hearts and cause us to walk in the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.